Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Berg. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Chris Schlemmer and Steve Richter. Chris is the brand manager for Rotogrip. He also was out on tour back in the day as a ball rep with uh, with Rotogrip and Storm and helping out all the guys on staff. So you all remember Chris from those days. And Steve is a two-time USBC Open Championship. He's also a silver certified USBC coach and Storm certified instructor as well. So check him out as well. And he runs, uh, runs a pro shop back there in Wisconsin. You can check Steve out at Elite. ProShop.com, EliteProShop.com, great group of guys back there in the Sheboygan, Wisconsin area doing uh, great things for bowling, so check him out there as well. So, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for joining me today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us on, Sam. Awesome. Well, I thought we would hit on things regarding the USBC Open Championships, regarding the Storm and Roto Grip line. So I guess first question for you, Chris, would be, what are, what are you hearing from folks, and what are you seeing as far as stuff that you think is going to work well in the Roto Grip line, and then as well in your in Storm? Um, you know, so far it's been, uh, to be perfectly honest, it sounds like it's been kind of a uh, a mixed bag of, of sorts. Um, there hasn't been any one, um, I guess you could say, dominant piece that everybody's like, man, you got to make sure you have this particular ball, and it's going to go out and match up. And it's been kind of a... Uh, when I say variety is, you know, in communications with our staffers um, and, you know, even from the crew that from here at the office that went um, early on, um, you know, it's anywhere from, you know, on the rotor group side, like Eternal Cell, you know, Menace, Hypercell. I mean, basically the whole product line, it's kind of in play. Um, it's a matter of how you throw it and what angles you're trying to play. And, you know, as you see some guys that are, you know, starting to post some little bit better scores, um it seems like the um, if you got something that's smoother off the transition with a little bit of surface, um, so like a menace, uh, 
uh, haywire kind of thing is kind of early on. It, seemed, it's, it sounded like it's been pretty good, and then most players are able to step in with like a high wire or a hectic and kind of get it you know down the lane and get to bounce off a friction spot. Um, but again, it, it all depends on you know who you're bowling with and how you guys break them down. And you know it's awesome we got Steve on the phone here with us. Is um, you know he, as he's a one of Eagles a couple times and he can give us you know the whole synopsis or, you know, thought process behind breaking lanes, breaking a pair down um, to get more of a successful read and, you know, make balls look better than what, you know, other ones do. So, um, you know, and as far as on the storm side, again, it's kind of the same thing. You know, we're hearing that the, you know, some people can get, um, you know, the first game or game and a half with, say, like an Alpha Crux or a Lock, um, and then it turns into they can transition into, you know, like a phase, a tour 30, um, IQ tour, um, you know, end of the fights and you know, high roads. Of course, I mean, it's kind of, it's always seems to be like <clears throat> a bigger ball. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to have a ton of surface on it. Um, for some people, you know, some people just need more core, but some people need the cover until the lane opens up and then they can actually, what we like to say, is ball down and you know, switch to something else. So, Steve, anything you'd like to add to what Chris said there? I don't think you need me on this call. I think Chris covered everything. <laughs> he did that perfectly, and uh, I'll, I'll echo that. Um, I guess a, a summary statement that I could make that that pairs with that is really you just have to cover your options. I mean, you know, Chris talked about starting with HP4 Premier Line for you know a lot of styles, and then you start um, chasing as you chase the lane in. You're changing equipment, and I mean, it's you got to have a lot of options in your bag this year. And uh, not just in terms of hook shape, but uh, how much they hook and what do you want it to do off that spot. And, uh, it, you know, it's, there's real, no real prescription for any person. Uh, you just have to kind of match it up to who they are and how they throw it. And, uh, you know, like, like you said, you have to throw it good out there. That's it. Yeah, and speaking of uh, throwing it good, Chris um, and Steve, one of the things you guys like to do in Storm, at Storm, you guys will put the pattern out, I'm certain. And, Steve, I know you guys hold team practice sessions for your guys. How easy is it these days to mimic the pattern and get the characteristics as close as you can? They're always not going to be the same, per se, when you go out there, especially dealing with the stadium, with new installs at the stadium and, and everything. But how close, Steve, in past years, and as USBC with the different oil they're using now with the ice and then even how they're applying the oil, does that make it tricky to mimic the pattern for you guys? A little bit, um, I, and I'll just speak from my perspective. I'm a perfectionist. I, I know that. I know it's a fault, and sometimes it's a, uh, a benefit. Um, so when I see things happen at home without the ice oil, I can sometimes get this preconceived notion on how they're going to turn out when we go to the tournament site, and it doesn't always end up that way. So we, we actually did something this year where we took the oil that we're using and we increased the pump volume so we can try and simulate how quickly the ball goes through the front of the lane and how much it changes direction off the back. And we've got it closer this year, but it's not quite right. So this year and compared to past years, uh, you know, we kind of have a basic idea of what we're going to do for how we attack the lane, what um, ball progressions that we have, what we're going to start with, and then what we're going to move into. But it's basically a plan that we're looking to see if, once we get out there, if it fits into that plan, if it doesn't, we have to be open-minded enough to bail on it and go to plan B, so to speak. Um, so we do our best to kind of give us um, the best guess possible 
and then you just have to think on your feet when you're there. And Chris, I guess if you guys at Storm, when the, the, you guys had the team that went out there earlier and then they came back, I, have they have they communicated as far as if it was put out and how close it was at the at the plant? You know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, and even like Steve said, with the variables that come into it, um, as far as, you know, even though you've got the pattern and you can get the same oil and you can buy, the, you can get the same lane machine, the unfortunate thing is every lane installation is different. <clears throat> and so with that crew that was from out here, um, you know, for them, they were, you know, they felt they were a lot tighter there. Um, it's usually about an arrow difference. Um, but, you know, in some cases, you, you hear these stories of, you know, we'd hear from staffers or um, other friends or people that go bowl, and, you know, it's the deal of depending on what type of center they're in and everything that is, they're like, oh, no, we've been practicing on the pattern. And then exactly like Steve said, you get out there, and it's, like, completely different um, in the fact of once you start getting past, like, an arrow different, when you start getting to, like, two arrows different, I mean, now you're talking zones. You know, if it's within a five-board window, it's kind of still within the same same zone. But once it gets past that, and in some cases, lane surface is, is it's there's so many variables, and lane surface is the biggest one. And that seems to always be the one that comes up all the time. Like, oh yeah, we've been practicing, but man, we got out there, it's a lot tighter. Or you know, in some cases, <clears throat> and as we all know, in that building. Um, no matter how many times they do installs and how many times they do all the stuff, there are certain pairs that play a certain way. And, you know, if you've got certain strategic plans, and I just know that from my years of tour repping and, you know, us having the Masters and other various PBA events there, you kind of learn some nuances of certain pairs. And, again, it's kind of a luck of the draw and, you know, how is things looking today and, you know, like Steve said, we were talking about coming earlier, man, having a little bit of variety and having a plan A, a plan B, and in some cases for some people it's plan C um, because you just don't know what's going to be there. So, Well, and earlier I talked to Eric Vermillion. One of the things that stuck out that he said is you, you, you almost see two balls that are really extreme, two balls that you don't think you're going to use, one that's going to hook you know hook at the arrows hook at your feet and then one that's gonna you, you seemingly you think is going to go 60 feet and then you kind of build your arsenal in between that. So from the storm line, that would be probably, like you said, maybe starting with your lock or your alpha and then going all the way down on the rotor grip side to, like, say, a wrecker. I mean, do you think that in singles, because that was the one thing that he had said, that they were using some of the, their weaker pieces, you know, like the track heats out there for singles. And if you go back and watch them, they were actually in further, I think, than what they even thought. But that was where you guys also said of going in with an open mind and not being afraid to, by the time it gets to that, you know, single set to move left of the, you know, your fifth, sixth game. Correct, and that's the one thing, too, that, um, you know, and I think, it, and, and Steve could probably expand on this a little bit, too, is when you, um, you know, obviously with the singles and doubles being a little bit um, a little bit different pattern and there's seemingly more, a little bit more friction, you know, in some cases, you know, there's players that are going to bowl well still using a fairly big ball to start and uh, then using a step-down ball, and then there's going to be some of the other players um, that, that can start with that weaker ball and start in and just lower the speed a little bit, kind of create that kind of big, uh, play that hook shape, and then just let it open up and develop and just keep chasing it left. Um, you know, since, um, you know, talk, again, I'm, I'm actually still currently nursing a uh, ankle injury, so I haven't been bowling for a while, but um, and not not going this year. But, um, you know, and, and looking and going through and seeing some of the posts and watching some of the video clips and stuff like that, and, and like, we hear, you know, stories you know, once you get in and even if you're playing with that weaker ball, 
it looks like it's gonna in some in some cases it's, like it's gonna slide down a lane forever, and then all of a sudden it just hits a spot and goes sideways. And you can even see some of the players that you know, even if they got a good look, if they throw one, they're like, oh, that one's out the window, and it comes trucking back, and they go, oh, it's kind of like surprising in, in some cases. And that's if you match up the right ball, because in that same exact zone, you could throw a different ball and it could completely miss the lane. So it's a matter of you know matching the core cover and the zone on the lane to get that right combination for you. And it's just as easily to, like I said, you know, grab a ball that you think is close and then it doesn't even see the lane at all. So then it, you know, throws a kind of a trick in your mind and go, man, I got to bail out of this spot and go someplace else where, in essence, you probably should have stayed there with a completely different ball. So it's uh, Chris is a hundred percent right on that. I'll I'll just I don't, don't mean to cut you off, but that no, is probably the best way I've heard it said yet. Um, and, and just to echo my own experiences, um, you know, what he said earlier, I've got that with a hectic. It looks unbelievable, and all my logic tells me that ball shouldn't work. It's too high RG, too low differential, and yet when the opportunity arises, it looks unbelievable. So, you know, when I said before about you have to have options, you have to have it just for the reason that Chris mentioned. You could get stuck in a zone where it makes you feel like, well, in the league, we would just move a different zone or we'd move more when that's not the move. It's actually getting in the right ball. And then there might come a time where that ball currently doesn't work and you think it's switching balls again where now it becomes where you actually have to move the zone. So there's there's a lot of guesses you have to make and, and use your intelligence and your experience um, to to make it all come together like a piece of the pie, which is why it makes this year so challenging, um, just like last year, is it's not so much just execution. It's making all the right guesses at the right time, too. Well, and what what we've seen last year out there was, you like you said, uh, Steve, earlier, you mentioned about the fronts. The ball really got through the fronts, but then would still hook. So then people would think, okay, well, i got to you know get the ball right, and then it would go 60 feet, and they'd clip off the right side. So... It's uh, it creates illusions sometimes when you're seeing, and that's where the good teams like you guys are on and everything. You're able to watch each other and you know each other's game, so you can say, no, you, you just need to make a zone move. You can't just <laughs> you didn't you threw it fine. It just didn't it just didn't react and make that that zone move or ball change. In this in this situation, guys, in this year, are you guys seeing? Has it been better from what you guys are hearing and feedback to to move left to move you know make your parallel move left on the lane, or is it better to stay in that same area and ball down? Well, I'll share an experience that we used last year. We thought that a move had come earlier than we thought. And, again, our logic told us it's too early. That that shouldn't be there yet. And Gail Myers brought it up. He said, hey, I think it's there. Let's make the move. And we picked the person that had the worst ball reaction, which was Danny. And without telling anybody else, he made the move and went flush. Then I got up and flushed it. And then we took that to Jeff, Mark, and Mike. And we said, hey, guys, here's what we saw. Uh, we all made the move. We all, you all saw what happened. And, you know, again, that, that started the discussion, like, are you guys sure? So, um, you know, it's just at some point somebody has to take a chance. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But either way, if you learn something from it, good or bad, it helps you build what you're going to do moving forward, not just yourself, but the rest of your teammates. Yeah, and, and to expand on that, too, and, and, you know, just from past experiences myself and this and that, and it's kind of understanding the, um, the capabilities and limitations of your team. Um, and not, you know, we talk about ball reaction and playing zones and all that stuff, but then it also gets into where that person is um, more comfortable and where they can repeat shots the best. And obviously, you know, Steve's on, the, you know, they're on a, on a talented team. 
you know, you got a, a variety of, of skill level and you guys get rev rates and stuff like that. But if you've got different people and you're trying to attack them a little bit different, you know, in some cases it is, you know, like you said, if somebody sniffs out and, and just catches a, a, a thought process of, man, maybe it's time for us to jump in and start moving. Well, maybe it's that, but maybe somebody needs to stay camped. You know, maybe, it's, you know, your third bullet on the team needs to stay camped using the same ball or maybe they just need a ball change. And, you know, you can actually have your team kind of break apart. And as long as you're, you know, you don't get crossed up like on angles and stuff like that, you know, we've seen it to where you can have two players move in, three camp, or you can have, you know, two guys move in and, and, and three guys stay out and just change balls or not change balls at all. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to attack it. And, again, it's, it's just, uh, you know, as we like to say, when you go eagle hunting, you have to, you know, kind of yeah it's a team deal and you have to have an open mind about it because if you don't you know i think there's in a lot of cases there's too many teams that go in and go oh man we're never going to shoot at and then by stroke of luck they end up with a big score and they go wow if we would have done this or we would have done that and then you've got the other teams that are overthinking every shot that never even give themselves a chance so you have to have a a fine balance of analyzing and then also kind of being willing like steve said take a gamble and like man we're going to jump and we're going to do things a little bit off the cuff and you know it either works or it doesn't you know so there's no right or wrong way that's that's the best thing about our sport all right a couple kind of fill in the blank questions for both you guys so this one is a straight player slash tweeners will struggle if fill in the blank i would say from my past experience um because I fall in that category. I'm more of a straight player, borderline tweener. Um, and I would say they're struggling if they don't have enough surface um, out of the gate um, to make sure their ball seeds the lane the right way. Um, because if you've got rev rate you can and you can change your speed enough, you can usually create some angle in the lane. If you're someone like me who doesn't have a rev rate, if you don't have enough surface to get your ball to pick up on the right part of the lane, your arm swing never gets free and you never really see the lane and never can really repeat shots comfortably. Well, I'll go a different direction, and I'll say um, if you don't move enough, if uh, you happen to be bowling with um, teammates that have higher rev rates than you, just bowled, or just did a lesson here uh, recently with a fellow that's on a group like that, and we just had to show him that you know moving small two and ones or three and ones isn't enough. It's sometimes when it's time to make the jump, it's you got to get caught up to where your teammates are. Um, so. Uh, Again, it's outside-the-box thinking for the national championship. It's different than the league. Okay, and then conversely, guys, uh, high-rev players are going to struggle if... If you jump in too far left too fast. Because what does that create as a, as the game goes on? Let's say during team, what does that happen if you're le- too far left or too early? I just think uh, I think somebody that throws it really, really good can be in at the start and find a way to make their ball shake through the pocket. I'm not sure what it does to change the pattern. I mean, we've never, in our testing, even tried to find that out. I think there's a good thing to have some disparity on your launch angles at the start, but your balls for your team all have to funnel to the same spot down lane, and I just think you can uh, get crossed up um, either in ball selection or the, the place you're playing if you're too far left to start. And again, in our group, we have some disparities in rev rate there and um, we're going to have them spread out in the front of the lane um, but we're going to let people be comfortable but not absurd in, in how their launch angles are. 
And I, I would have to echo and, and probably agree that um, because it's one of those deals that, and I can give experience from, you know, and not comparing it to the um, PBA tour, but and the thought process behind it, you know, when you've got a group and you're trying to break the lanes down a certain way, there's always going to be those one or two players that they've got the rev rate and, and can speed adjust to move in and get ahead of it. But what happens is, because they get there faster before the lane starts to kind of transition front to back, they're in some cases creating side to side transition. That when the players that don't have the rev rate and the lane starts to change, they have to start chasing up to it. As they move in, then the transition happens both in the front and the back part of the lane. So that's where it kind of creates some havoc for some players. You know where, you know the people that can slow wheel it or that have the rev can just start chasing it in from the start, they never ever see that. And, you know, to them it's no big deal, but, you know, for the other however many people coming behind them, it's a world of difference and, you know, some people just never, their ball just never, never sees a lane. All right, well, I want to talk to you. Chris, this question will be for you. Uh, one of the most recent releases on the Roto-Grip side has been the High Wire. Talk about what's so unique about the High Wire. Um... Besides the fact that it tracks a lot, um, <laughs> no, um, you know it's actually it's it's been you know it, it's been amazing so far. Um, you know, just in the month that it's been out, the the amount of award scores. There's, you know, we've got one guy there in Ohio that uh, bowled his six three hundred. He's got four eight hundreds and six three hundreds now since he drilled his high wire the day it came out, um, in, in a couple of different bowling centers. Um, and I think the unique thing about that is, you know, the, that core, the Middle World 70 core has been, you know, so well received um, over the years. And it's just, you know, it clears the front. It's, it's not um, super sideways down lane. It's, it gives you, it picks up and it starts rolling good to mid lane. And I think the, the idea, the thing that worked out was pairing it with the hybrid cover, which is um, with the pearl and with the solid. You know, a little bit different mixture in the in the blend of the pearl um, to the solid, which creates just a little bit more retention of energy down lane, which you know, hence the reason why it shapes the back part of the lane so well. And um, yeah, to be honest with you, I can say that um, you know, I personally, when you know, putting it together, I'm like, oh, this ball is going to be good. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to be this good, and it's been. Like I said, it's been a blessing and it's been very well received by the market and um, and the scores are proven it. You know, we've already had, um, we've also had two instances where somebody's had the front 29 with it already. So, you know, there's there's a lot of striking happening with that ball. Steve, do you have anything on the high wire? Have, have, um, is that, I guess the other question would be, in, in my arsenal, if I'm, I want to bring that with me to, to the championships, do I need to do anything to the surface, or is that one of those where maybe box surface and maybe, I mean, again, kind of taking a guess, an educated guess, but maybe second game of team event, you could throw something like that, or would you, would you be able to start right out of the gate, or does it depend on a lot of factors? Well, I'm seeing uh, the pinup one that I have. Uh, it, it needs some scratch to make it start at the right point. Um, but it's certainly a second transition ball. Now, I've been kicking around the idea, though, of drilling a second one differently and getting some more texture on it and having that be my start ball. Um, like Chris said, it just shapes so good. Uh, it just feels like that should be an option I should have in my bag. So it's at least going to get experimented here at home, but you know, we'll see if it makes a trip. But I, I'm, I can't say enough for how easy that ball is to get it down the lane and 
it just kicks harder than than I thought, uh, at least in the in the one that I have. And it's such a good complement to the Haywire, which is just an oil loving ball that just loves to truck through everything. It, you know, you get two distinctly different shapes in seemingly the same ball in, in that line, and so um, yeah, it's a great complement. Yeah, and exactly what you said, Tim, as far as, you know, taking it out there and it being a, a step-down ball. And, you know, some people, and like we talked about, some of the players that have the higher rev rates, you know, some people have said they've been able to start with it. Um, but the the high wire falls more into kind of the, the high road category um, that's been so well for so many years um, as that good transition or step-down ball of, you know, as it um, start, as the lane starts to open up, you know, you, you chase in a couple more um Chase a few more inside, and you you've got something that clears the front, but still shapes the lane on the back without you know not you know skidding forever and then trying to snap and go sideways, um, and and you know some cases it's the it's the second ball before you get to let's say like a hectic or a skyrocket or or something like that, or in some cases people are like man I just use this one ball the whole time. There have been you know we've heard some. Stories. I mean, again, everybody's got a different um, target score and this and that. But you know, somebody's like, "Oh man, I bowled 680." You know, each set with my, with I use one ball here and I use one ball there, and you know, again, it's kind of pick your poison and um, do whatever fits you. All right. Final question, Steve. I received this email from a proprietor, and uh, knowing that you're a proprietor, I want to get your take on this. He went out and bowled. That he's a pretty accomplished bowler in his own right. And he came back and he, you know, shot like a 620 clean and, and just really ch- was challenged on the lanes and said, if I'd have known they were this stuff, I'd have told my whole crew to not even come down here and come out and bowl these events because it's too tough for the, you know, the quote-unquote typical house bowler or your house bowler who maybe averages 200, even 210 in some cases. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Or, you know, with the USBC the last two years, this is the second year, it seems like uh, Chad and folks down there in Arlington have made a concerted effort to make the pattern a little more tricky than what it had been from, you know, the last time we were in Reno when it, you know, was you're striking all those, you know, people made it look like a house shot conceivably in team there. So what are your thoughts on that? And as a proprietor, how are you able to, I guess, like um, Chris was just alluding to, you know, manage expectations for folks and let them know, hey, if you if you go out there, guys, and you shoot, you average 1,800, that's going to be a pretty good score this year. Yeah. <clears throat> well, first is to set the expectation that from this point forward, since Chad Murphy's, uh, you know, kind of taking this under his wing and getting it back to uh, what his perceptions of the past were, this is the way it's going to be from now on. They're just going to be hard. So it comes down to good shot making and good ball selection. And from the proprietor's standpoint, we do our best to try and inform the people that we know that are going there, look, you should come out and do a practice session with us. We should show you what it's going to be like. We should... Um, show you what the transitions might be like, what your angles should be like, and at least arm them with more information to know at least what the expectation is. So even if they don't perform to their standards, but what we showed them was close to being right, you know, hopefully that creates the kind of situation where they're excited to go next year because now they know a little bit more than the, than the other guy. Um, but this is the national championship. It should be hard. And, um, Although I don't agree with all the decisions he made for the upcoming changes, I think having uh, a little more challenging patterns is a good thing for uh, for this event. All right. Well, we'll leave. Uh, we'll, we're going to leave the tournament talk there. I want to talk about one thing, Steve, that you are doing as a proprietor. And Chris, I know you're involved as this uh, in this as well. But just talk about what you're doing back there in uh, in Wisconsin to to help some folks out. 
Yeah, thanks for giving me the opportunity to say something about it. It's uh, uh, it's going to be the fourth year of a, a fundraiser that we do that's wrapped as a blanket around a couple of bowling tournaments that I have as part of our bowling center and pro shop. We have Storm involved doing lessons next week, Friday, all day long. And uh, then we have a tournament Friday night, a tournament Saturday, and all the money that we have is going to a charity called the 12 Weeks of Christmas Project. Uh, just quickly on that, that's part of our local Elks Lodge that I'm a member. They gather things throughout the year and then work with, um, uh, sorry, by things I mean food items, uh, toiletries, necessities, and they target specifically the homebound, the sick, the injured, people on assistance. They work with the Department of Health and Human Services to deliver that at Christmas time, and there's nothing better than knocking on a door or giving them a big box of stuff that they don't have, saying Merry Christmas and heading out to the next house to make a positive impact in the community. So last year we raised $16,000. A lot of that thanks to uh, corporate donations. One of them was the Christmas Foundation uh, and Epic Creative. And uh, we're hoping to raise another 15000 next weekend. So if anybody out there is feeling charitable and uh, wishes to contribute, by all means, you can get a hold of me, and we gladly accept it. And, Chris, talk about Storm and Rotogrip's uh, involvement in this. And like uh, Steve was saying, you guys are doing lessons, and just uh, one of the things that you guys put your support behind. Yeah, and, and as, uh, as Steve mentioned, it's one of those things that uh, – you know, from donations and stuff like that, you know, Bill and Barb um, are, you know, they strongly believe in giving back and even some of the stuff we do here locally in Utah. Um, but Steve being a part of the, the Storm family and, um, you know, Barb and Bill reaching out to help in that regard. And when it gets into as far as donating product and our time, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, when Steve reached out to me and, hey, we want to do this thing and tie it all together, I'm like, absolutely no problem. And, um, you know, so I'm going out there and, um, I think Steve's got me booked for like 48 straight hours of lessons, I think is what he told me. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, his community and he's, he's got a great, um, a great following and, and people that are, you know, eager and willing that want to get better at bowling and, and learn some tips. And, you know, with, with my help, uh, with myself and, uh, Chris Sand, I believe is coming in as well. So, um, you know, who was also part of this family and now works for Turbo. But, you know, we're coming in to give lessons and, um, you know, just be a part of the whole experience. And I've actually not been here. This will be my first time attending the event, so I'm actually pretty excited to see, you know, and be a part of it. Um, and I know each year that, um, you know, I've helped Steve with some other stuff, with you know, donations and, you know, money he can raise to help make a difference in the community. And, and that's really what it's all about, you know. Well, those of us that are fortunate to do what we do and, and be in the position that we are, but, you know, also help those who you know, may not have the, you know, the money to, you know, have that Christmas dinner or, you know, get clothes or toiletries or whatever, whatever one may need. And um, it's just really cool all the way around. Well, great stuff. And uh, Steve, what we're going to do in the description of the podcast, we'll put where folks can reach out to you guys and help you out with that as far as the donation around the tournament. But then I'm guessing also during the year too, if something comes up where maybe six months down the road or three months down the road, they want to make a donation, they can do that as well. And, and we'll get it to the right folks there. So, so thanks for what, what you guys are doing and giving back to our sport and giving back to the community. Cause that's, uh, that's always, like you said, it's always good to help if we're able to. Wonderful. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. And, guys, a few quick things before we go here. First of all, I want to remind folks, check out BowlingThisMonth.com, the world's best and most complete technical resource. Got all sorts of great ball reviews. 
every ball we talked about here, going to be able to get a review and, and take a look at it and see if it's going to fit in your arsenal for the USBC Open Championship or, frankly, just for your uh, arsenal all in general in your tournament bowling. Checking out the website right now, seeing a great piece up there still by Jeff Riggles talking about how to attack the USBC Open pattern in his opinion. Also, an article about uh, health and your knee pain and how to reduce your knee pain. So great stuff there. So check out bowlingthismonth.com. Again, bowling's best and most complete technical resource right there. Also want to remind you, as we're talking about Reno here a little bit, check out the Nugget Resort and Casino. Great stuff there. Get a great room rate if you call right now using the promo code GAB180. It's GAB180. You have to call for that rate. It's 1-800-648-1177. Again, 1-800-648-1177. Check them out. Got a Gillies. They're about five minutes from downtown, so a great uh, great place to check out and try. A great room rate as well. Like I'm saying, $45 per night during the week. 69 on the weekend that includes a resort fee so no hidden fees when you get out there no surprises you know what you're going to pay before you leave for reno so check them out as well again great stuff with them got a free food credit ten dollar food credit per person per stay and two free drinks uh, per person per stay as well so check them out all the fine folks at the nugget let them know uh, we sent you and use that code gab180 and uh, they're going to hook you up with that rate 